Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Grace City Church podcast. If you would like more info on our church, you can visit gracecityboston.com. Now let's get to the sermon. Hey, good morning. Uh, welcome. If I don't know you, my name is Brian. I am the, the lead pastor here at uh, Grace City. And so I just want to extend a welcome uh, to you. Can, uh, can we thank Eli for leading us this morning, uh, stepping in? He got a text Friday night. And so uh, that's just kind of week that it's been in super transparency. And so uh, we're really glad that you're here. Listen, uh, the church is happening. God's people are gathering. And, uh, and we're about to dive into uh, the scriptures this morning. And so I think, I think everything's going to be all right uh, eventually. So, um, all right. So here's, here's, uh, here's kind of where we're at. So uh, we're starting a new series that we've entitled uh, The Jesus Movement. And so essentially what we're doing is we're kind of gathering and coming around this idea of um, really answering the question of how did we get here? Like, how did we get to this place where all of us are sitting um, in this room uh, in the city of Boston in 2021? And so last week we looked at really the birth of the Christian church. And and the reality is, is for for a lot of us, there's probably uh, a ton of misconceptions around the church. Uh, You know, uh, some of you may think like the church kind of started as this um, institution. It started as this this kind of power grab culturally uh, in this moment, right? I mean, if you just kind of have surveyed uh, the church in some ways over the last few years, uh, there's reason to believe that, to be honest with you. Uh, and we, we kind of see where the, the church, the general church, um, has tended to land and prioritize in different ways. Uh, it can be a bit confusing to um, see this person, uh, this, this person of Jesus, uh, one who says he's the son of God, to see his compassion, to see his, um, his ethic, to see his mercy, to see how he was, um, how he responded to the marginalized, to see how he uh, spoke against injustice, to see how he spoke against the religious elite, and, and try and take this Jesus that we see in the scriptures and then align it with the church of the last few years can be difficult, if we're being honest. And so what, what we want to do over the next few weeks together, and we started last week, is look at how, how did we get here? Like, what does it really look like? We, we call it the Jesus movement because what we saw last week is really the Christian church started with people just being enamored with Jesus. That like, they, they honestly, they just didn't know what else to do. Like, he had changed them. You had men and women who had been following along with Jesus. They've been listening to his teaching, right? He'd been empowering them in some really significant ways. And so he took this kind of marginalized group of, of Hebrew Jewish men. He, he took this group of women who are on the margins with no power in the ancient Near East. And he took these people, he, he changed them and all they knew to do, all they knew to do was to, to share the story of Jesus. The, the scriptures call this, uh, says that they were witnesses to the way of Jesus. This is who they were. This is what was happening. We, we, we saw last week that really the, um, the mission of the church and the mission of our church, the mission of, uh, of the church in, in the first century was just to share the story of Jesus, who he was. It's, it's in, in some ways really simple. Now it's really complex and difficult in other ways, but it's also really simple. We're just sharing that this is who Jesus is. And, and so the church began with just this group of people enamored by Jesus, gathering around his way, trying to 
in, in many ways, just trying to create the ethos that Jesus presented in front of them. This is what the, the church was. And so last week we looked at the mission, we looked at the extent of the mission, that, that essentially that God has called the, the Christian church to be um, not mono-ethnic, but this diverse group of people that are coming from all over uh, the world that look different, that, that speak differently, that, um, that uh, culturally just kind of have different things going on and, and place all of these people in, in kind of one environment, in one setting around the name of Jesus. This was the extent of the mission. So when Jesus said, go, take my news, he didn't just say, take my news to the Jewish people, to Jerusalem. He didn't just say, take my news to Judea or, or Samaria, but he said, take it to the world. Go to the world. Go, go. And so now we sit here as a result of the commission of Jesus. And so we ended last week. So here's where we're going this morning. We ended last week talking about um, that Jesus mentions there's a type of power source uh, that he's going to give them, that a power is going to come upon the church that is going to enable them to do um, the things that they need to do, that's going to push them forward. And so this morning, uh, this morning we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are like, yes, the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, some, let's be for real. Some of you are like, yes, give me the Holy Spirit. And then others of you are like, you know, that's going to get a little uncomfortable, Holy Spirit, right? We can, we can be honest about that. Um, what's interesting is this week, uh, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, um, listen to what they said. They just released a study actually on the Holy Spirit this week. And, and they said this, they said, of self-identified Christians, now, we know that's loaded, right? I mean, let's be honest, like that's super loaded. Um, but of self-identified Christians, it said 58% contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. 58% of people um, sitting in uh, pews, tables, whatever, chairs, would say that the Holy Spirit is not a, a real person. This is the reality of where we're operating. And the, the other reality that we need to be really kind of upfront with is is depending on kind of your background, your religious background, if you're coming out of a, a kind of different, like if you even have a religious background, you probably have uh, a couple of thoughts on the Holy Spirit. So, so if you came out of, so if you came out of my, my background, so uh, when I was a, a teenager, uh, I'm originally from Georgia, so Northwest of Atlanta. And uh, when I was a teenager, we started going to this small little church in our community, uh, and it was called Friendship Baptist Church. Uh, the tagline was more than just a name. Isn't that great? No? Okay. So here's what we, here's what we knew. Um, that, so the Holy Spirit for us, um, the Holy Spirit for us was, was the Spirit was seen as um, mysterious, kind of confusing, uh, maybe even perhaps implied as dangerous, depending on like how, how people um, talked about uh, the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, he was he was distant. Um, he was in, he was impersonal in comparison to the Father and Son. Like we really we really only talked about um, the Holy Spirit if we were talking about the Father and the Son. Do you know what I mean? It was like, and the Great Commission is take the gospel, empowered by the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We were like, who's that? And go. That was kind of the background, right? Maybe that's your background. 
where, where the Holy Spirit is almost like on that end of the spectrum. Or maybe you come from a, a, a bit more of a charismatic Pentecostal background. And you're like, oh, I know the Holy Spirit, right? I met with him this morning. You know what I mean? Seriously. Like that's like your, that's, that's kind of like your background. Like you get the Holy Spirit. But, but there's also the very real possibility um, that there was a, in your, where you came from, there was an overabuse of the Spirit. That, that um, the Spirit, maybe, uh, maybe he was me as a means to kind of over-spiritualize decisions. Or, or um, you, they, they used the Spirit to prioritize certain individuals who exhibited power gifts. Right? You, you actually have, you've actually seen this. The Spirit was almost an scapegoat in, in some ways for, for things. You really perceive the spirit to, to really only be associated with kind of a nonsensical emotionalism. Maybe maybe that's your background. So we have these two kind of ends of the spectrum that we that we have to deal with. But because here's the thing: so churches um, theologically believe, like like Orthodox churches theologically believe the same things, right? So Jesus uh, born of a virgin, uh, humanity is born sinful, right? Like. Jesus is the means by which we get to the Father. Like he lived a perfect life. Like these are all kind of theological base level things, like tier one things. A lot, of, a lot of churches believe the same things, but philosophically, these truths play themselves out in different ways. So all churches believe in Father God the Father, uh, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they philosophically play themselves out. Play themselves out differently. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is they can believe these things, but the way that these things inform how they do worship on Sunday, how they do um, uh, discipleship, how they do prayer gatherings, how they do scripture reading, uh, how they do any of these things can look very differently. This is why we have differences with, with churches and with denominations and all of these types of things, is their philosophy is different. And, and so here, here's what I'm going to do this morning. Uh, I want to lay out for you, uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, we're going to kind of lay out this uh, scripture, uh, in kind of introducing the Holy Spirit um, into the Christian movement, into the church, and then I want to do my best attempt at saying, hey, for Grace City, who we are as a church, this is what we're going to look like moving forward. And I'm just going like, to lay it out for you so that we can kind of have it um, all, all together. So you just kind of know on the front end with, with clarity, um, this, is who, this is who Grace City is. Is. And so let me, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into uh, our text. God, we thank you. Um, thank, you, that you thank you that you give us um, truth through your scripture, that, that you, haven't left us with, um, you haven't left us to be confused about who you are. God, you've made yourself knowable. And so, God, we uh, just need your help this morning. God, we need the Holy Spirit's help this morning to, to read the scripture correctly, to to understand it, to apply it. God, we pray for um, clarity over heart and overhead, that, that both of these things would be able to connect on an intellectual level and an emotional level. Um, God, that we would, we would see you uh, this morning, that we would be better understand um, the Holy Spirit. So God, we need your help. Help us. God, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, here's a thought this morning that you can't, here's why we have to get it right as a church. Um, you can't have a vibrant, robust, sound Christian discipleship without a solid understanding of the Holy Spirit. I'll say it a different way. Uh, you, 
you cannot love the God of the Bible without loving and embracing the Holy Spirit. You just can't do it. You can't neglect the Spirit and have solid, strong Christian discipleship. It's not possible. You can't do it. Okay, so let's look at um, let's look at our scripture. So I'm gonna look at first Acts chapter one, uh, just bre- really briefly for a second. This is the text that we looked at last week. But in Acts chapter one, uh, in verse four and five, Jesus is. This isn't um, uh, this isn't him introducing the Holy Spirit. He's been talking about it throughout the gospel accounts. But here is Luke. Uh, so if you weren't here last week, Luke wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts is just Luke part two. It's just him. If if Gospel Luke was a spotlight on Jesus, and it was. Uh, the book of Acts is Luke part two. In a lot of ways, the spotlight on the church. The spotlight is still, still obviously still on Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, but the, the kind of the, the brunt of it, the apologetic for Acts is, is essentially the church. This is what happens when people rally around the way of Jesus. This is, this is it. And so in Acts chapter one, uh, we see Jesus give them a command. This is in verse four and verse five. Uh, look, look what he says here. He's talking to his followers. And he says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Okay, so that's verse four. He says, and, and you've actually heard me speak about this promise. So he says, I want you to wait for the promise. Okay, so I want you to lock into Holy Spirit as promise at, for thought number one. Okay, kick down to verse eight, Acts chapter one, verse eight. Now, this is what he says to them. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses all over the world. He says, all over the world. So here's what you hang out here. So it says, I want you to hang out with um, the, the Holy Spirit as a promise and then the Holy Spirit as power. This is what we're gonna flesh out this morning. Holy Spirit as promise and Holy Spirit um, as, uh, as power. Okay, Acts chapter two, let's see it flesh out, starting in verse one. It'll be on the screen or you can turn there. Uh, Acts chapter two, verse one, we'll do one through uh, 13. We'll read it a bit for to, uh, together and then we'll kind of flesh it out. So it says this, uh, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues, uh, and they saw tongues like flames of fire separate and rest on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak, um, begin to speak in different tongues as the Spirit had enabled them. Verse five. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people of every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, uh, a crowd came together and they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were, they were actually astounded and they were amazed at what they were hearing. They, they actually said, uh, aren't all these speaking Galileans? It's throwing them off. How, how is it, verse eight, how is it that each of us are, are hearing them in our, our own language? So that, these ethnically Jewish, so what's happening here? So you, you have ethnically Jewish um, people that are, have, are now gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. We'll talk about it in a second. But, but what's happening is they're now hearing these, these Hebrew uh, Jewish uh, followers of Jesus 
now speaking their, the, the language of their land. So these are Jewish believers, who uh, those who are following the way of God, living in other places. They're not based in Jerusalem. If you, if you go through that list, they're, they're actually like all over the place, like into Rome. They're, they're just kind of all kind of spread out everywhere. And, and now they're, they're gathered in the city and there's a commotion because of what's going on. Now, I, we'll talk in a second about what's going on, but it's just, it's important to kind of grasp like, okay, this is, this is, what's, this is what's happening. Now, um, kick down into... Um, uh, it, it says uh, the the question. It, um, oh gosh, I lost it. Oh, verse twelve. Uh, it says they were astounded and perplexed by all this chaos that's going on, and they were saying to one another, "What does this mean? What does this mean?" Now, here's the question we have to deal with. We see this. We see the Holy Spirit come upon the early church. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what does this mean? Same question. This is, is essentially what um, we're trying to get after. Okay, so I mentioned this is Pentecost. So, so what, what Pentecost was, was Pentecost at, at this point was, um, was a, a, the, the Jewish um, believers had various festivals that would bring them back to Jerusalem into the city. So they would come back into the city, they would celebrate, recognize God, and so you kind of had just this like, uh, this huge, incredible party that would go down uh, when they, they would come into the city. So all of them are in the city, and this particular uh, festival was really known as the festival of the first fruits. So they were giving God, they were recognizing God and saying thank you to God for producing the first fruits of their harvest. This is what they were doing. Now at this point, here's what's interesting. So at this point, it had also it had also become a celebration of God giving the law at Mount Sinai to his people. If you're familiar with the story at all, um, the, the Israelites are in the wilderness and, and God comes to them on Mount Sinai, comes to Moses and, and get, actually gives them the law. And this law, the, the Torah, the, the, it's, maybe you've heard it's the Ten Commandments, right? There were all kinds of other, uh, in, um, there's like chapters of just, things that are happening here where God is saying, this is how you live in relationship with me. This is how you flourish as a, uh, as a human being. This is how you separate yourself from the other nations. And so they would celebrate this day, of, this Pentecost day, they would celebrate God giving them law. Well, why did they do that? Because when God at Mount Sinai, hear this, when God out at Mount Sinai gave them the law, it was God's commitment to them to what? to be their God, to, to show them the way, to show them how to flourish, how to live. This is, this is why they celebrated the law. Oh man, God's given us a way to live. He's given us tr truths, not rules to simply follow, but, but a, a way to flourish and to live. And, and so they would celebrate this at this particular, um, at this particular uh, feast. Okay, fast forward, first century, Jewish followers, they're in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this, uh, or the, the Jesus followers are there because Jesus has told them to stay there. He's like, I got something, I need you to stay. I need you to hang out for a bit. So they're there. Now you have all these other Jewish believers who are now in the city to celebrate, to bring their offering of first fruits to the temple. 
You see where this is going? God determines, because this is a turning point in how God's going to relate to his people. God says, I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit to this early group of Jesus followers at Pentecost. So this day in which they traditionally have been celebrating as my day of committing myself to them, of showing them how to flourish and how to live, this is the day I'm going to give them the Holy Spirit. You see that? It's a turning point. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a change in how they will, um, in how they will relate to God. Uh, Richard Longnecker says it this way. I, I think it's great. He says this, he says, essentially he says the Spirit is coming is a is continuality of God's purpose in giving the law. And yet the Spirit's coming signals the essential difference between the Jewish faith and the commitment to Jesus. He, he says the, the former is Torah-centered, so the Torah was the law, and Torah-directed. The latter is Christ-centered and Spirit-directed. Christ-centered and Spirit-directed. It's, it's, a, it's still a continuation that God is for them, but it's just a, it's a continuation in a different sense. So it's just beautiful, beautiful parallel. Okay, so the, they're there, they're, they're, they're waiting. They're, they're waiting, and they're in this place. Look down at verse two. Back at verse two, it says, suddenly this sound, like a violent rushing wind came from heaven. So Luke's just, listen, Luke is doing his best to describe what's going on. He said it sounds like wind. He didn't say wind, but, it, but he's saying it sounds like wind. This is just what, he, what he's, he's getting at. He says, so it's, this sounds like wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each uh, one of them. Okay, so we're gonna get two kind of images here that I want us to follow along in this passage. But, but I, wanted, I want us to draw our attention to something really quickly. Where does, so if you're looking at this scripture, um, where does it say, where does Luke say the sound came from? It came from where? It came from heaven. It came from heaven. I mean, this is, uh, this is what it said. Like, he, he's saying that some, something in that moment, something otherworldly happened in that moment. He, he says it, it, it came down from heaven. I just want to say this in the front end because I've been sitting in this text all week. I've been thinking about um, this text and how it relates to Grace City, how it relates to how we're going to be as a church in the city. And um, if you don't know, like, we're, we're like early days church. Uh, we're, we're like a little baby. You know what I mean? Like we're still figuring out. Um, no, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, so uh, we're like a baby. You know, babies are messy. And so there's still a good bit of formation that's happening in the life of our church. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about the, this text and I just wanna say this in looking at this. Um, um, if, if we're going to be, if, if we're gonna be a church that really embraces the role of the spirit in our church, in our community, we're going to have to be a people who grow comfortable with experiences that work outside the boundaries of the natural order. We're just gonna have to grow comfortable with it. Because th this is what the, the text tells us, that, that there's a sound that came like it came from heaven. Not like it came, he says it came from heaven. It came from outside of our kind of normal understandings, uh, like normal kind of boundaries. Listen. Our faith, is, our faith is built around the belief 
that a first century Jewish carpenter claimed to be God? Is it not? I mean, let's think about it. Like, we believe he walked on water. We believe that he gave uh, blind their sight back. We believe that he made the lame walk again. We believe that he raised a little girl from death. We believe that he healed a woman of a lifelong blood disorder, that he calmed storms, that he multiplied, uh, multiplied a little boy's lunch to feed 10,000 plus people, that he turned the ancient Near East on its head with a few fishermen, a tax collector, a few marginalized Hebrew men, and women who culturally had no power. This is our faith. Some of you are like, this is, this is, you're not giving a good apologetic for the Christian faith in this moment. This, this, is, what, this is what we believe. We, we believe at the end of his earthly ministry, we believe that he rose from the grave forever loosing, uh, forever um, breaking loose the, the stronghold of sin in our life. This is what we believe. And, and I've been sitting this this week and I'm like, man, how have I and where have I sterilized my faith? Where have I made my faith more palatable for the world around me? Where, where, how have I done that? How have I made it less supernatural? How have I made it um, all, all logical and no mystery? How have I done that? Now, we're in Boston. Um, I don't know if you know much about Boston, but we love our school here. You know what I mean? We love uh, learning. That's like the thing that we do here. We enjoy that. I, I am in no way saying that Christianity isn't uh, logical, that Christianity can't be defended, right? Like we can, we can sit down, we can kind of go at it if we like, we, all of that. Christianity is the most defended belief system on the face of the earth, and it should be. Most criticized on the face of the earth, and it should be. The most long-standing ever, right? We, we can do that, but there is a sense in which, there's a sense in which we have to be able to embrace the mysterious and, and the from heaven. And, and a lot of times, um, this can happen through the Holy Spirit. This happens um, through, uh, through the Holy Spirit. We see it coming from heaven. Okay, so let's talk about, let's talk about these two imageries there. Uh, I'll move on from that. I'm off that, and then we'll move into this. Okay, so we have two imageries here. So he says, wind and fire. Wind and fire. I don't want to get into this uh, really, really deeply, but um, basically uh, in the Old Testament, this idea of wind and fire is closely tied to the work of God and closely tied to the work of the Spirit. So the, the, the place where we see uh, wind connected with the Spirit. Kind of the most popular scripture is Ezekiel 37, where the, the prophet's in a valley of dry bones. He says, um, uh, bring, uh, God says, like, bring this, this, this valley of dry bones back, right? So the Spirit of God, you can read it. We don't have time. It's trippy. But like, go read it. And, and the Spirit of God comes through and it raises them to life. It was a representation of, of Israel, um, uh, of Israel being kind of uh, dead where they are and, and the Spirit of God coming and it, and it raises them to life. And so we see this all throughout the Hebrew uh, scriptures, the Old Testament, this breath, um, this wind representing God, that this is uh, what's happening. Now, this imagery of spirit as fire is even more fascinating for me. Uh, it's even more fascinating for me in, in a couple of ways because I think, um, so, so I want to look at the Holy Spirit as promise and as power. I think this, um, this idea of, of spirit as fire being a promise is really interesting in this particular 
uh, in this particular text. Okay, so, so here's what we know. We know that God first revealed himself to Moses in what? In a burning bush, which is incredibly is amazing. But that, that's how God revealed himself was, was through um, fire, was doing that. We also know that in the Old Testament, that God's presence with them was, uh, the, the scriptures tell us, was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is how they knew God's presence was with them. Well, there's also um, this really great um, Old Testament parallel with Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and in Exodus chapter 19. So here's what's happening. Let me just give it to you. So in Exodus chapter 19, um, Mo, uh, God says to Moses, I want to speak with my people. I want to communicate with them. I want to be among them and, and do that. And so look, so the people are gathered together. All right. See the parallel. So the people are gathered together to, to hear from God. This is Exodus 19. This is 17 and 19, verses 17 through 19. It says, um, then, the, then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. That was the purpose. They want to meet with God. They brought him to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. It says Mount Sinai was, was completely uh, enveloped in smoke because why? It says because the Lord came down on it in fire. In fire. This has to be terrifying, does it not? I mean, I, I just, all I'm seeing is a volcano in this moment. It says he was in fire. It says it's, its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently as the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. Okay, so you see that, seeing the parallels here, that the people are gathered. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a silence. It is loud and, 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 and like disorienting for the Israelites in this moment. I mean, it, it like gets to the point where the Israelites eventually say to Moses, you know what? I think the best thing would be you talk to God and just tell us what he's saying. You know, like they get, they get so scared of him. They're like, I, you know, why don't you talk to him? You can come down and tell us what's going on. We feel perfectly comfortable with this situation. This is where they got to. This is how disruptive it was for them and disorienting it was for them. This is what was happening. Okay, so, so fast forward. Um, now we're in Acts chapter 2. So we have this Exodus 19. Uh, essentially what we see in the Old Testament is um, God makes his presence known. They, they call it the Shekinah glory. Shekinah means dwelling or presence. And so the, the Shekinah glory of God was this cloud by day and fire by night. This is how they knew God was with them. This is how they knew he was for them, was he was, he was there. So listen, God is in this moment, the way that God related to them was on the outside. They could see it, it was on the outside. So now we get to the New Testament and it says the spirit of God is coming and what is, what is the imagery? What is the picture that Luke gives us? He says what? He says in verse 3, They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Here's what the Spirit as promise means. Here's what it means. It, it means that. So this, this 
kind of presence, this fire presence, God, that we see in the Old Testament is now moving from something that is outside of them to now being something that is on and in them. It says the fire divided and then it fell on these Jesus followers, does it not? Here's what the Spirit is promised means. There is not, if you're here, you're a follower of Christ, there is not a moment that you do not have access to God the Father. Like you have, we as a people have unhindered access to the throne room of heaven. Unhindered. Doesn't matter where you're at. Like there's no, there's no you're not like in a dead zone. Doesn't happen. The prom, God said the, the promise that is coming to you is that through the Holy Spirit, like through the work of Jesus and then given the Holy Spirit, you have complete and total access to me. It, it's, it's not an outside thing now. It's, it's, it's inside. Now this is mysterious. It's confusing for a bit. But, but we're, seeing, um, we're seeing this in the text. This is why Jesus says in John 15, 26, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the counselor comes... The one I will send to you. Now, listen to what he says. The one I will send to you from the Father. It says, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will testify about me. So Jesus didn't say, hey, the Spirit is coming from me. He says, the Spirit is coming from the Father to you. To you. It's a turn. It's a change. Jesus says, when he comes, he comes from the Father to you. This is, this is the promise. Now, um, when, so when you get to the end of this, this um, narrative in, uh, in Acts chapter 2, the crowd hearing this, they're hearing the commotion, and we'll, we'll flesh out a second, but they're hearing the commotion, and, and they actually respond with, they must be drunk. They must be full of new wine. I guess that's the good wine, the new wine. This was their response. And so Peter was an early Christian leader, um, early Christian leader. He's trying to make sense of this to the people. Listen, listen to Peter's response. This is Acts chapter 2, 15 and 19, because uh, he's, he's, he's trying to land this thing before it gets out of, before it gets out of hand. Uh, he says this, uh, for these people are not drunk, verse 15, for these people are not drunk, uh, as you suppose. I love that. It's not even like Peter doesn't even say these people aren't drunk because they love Jesus. These people aren't drunk, you know, whatever, whatever. He's like, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose, because it's only nine in the morning. You know, that later? I don't know. Okay, so, so it says, since it's only nine in the morning, on the contrary, this is what he says. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will have visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will pour out my spirit on my servants in those days. Both men and women, they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. So, so this Joel's prophecy was essentially about God's presence among his people. That when, he, when, when the Messiah comes, when Jesus comes, what follows the Messiah is the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God falls on God's people, on followers of Jesus, he gives them dreams and visions and prophecy. It's this kind of otherworldly situation. 
And so the, the promise of God is that we'll know, we'll know God through the Spirit. We know God more intimately. We can, know, we can know him more intimately. We can know him more closely, that he is with us. Okay, so if that's the promise, what's the power? Um, look back, Acts chapter 2, verses 4, um, back at verse 4. Let's look at the Spirit as power. So it says they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right, so they're, they're, hearing, they're hearing all of this in their native language, they, right? These are all Jews. They're living outside the city, but now they're in the city, and they're, they're like, the... These Jesus followers should not be speaking our language. Why are they speaking the language in which uh, of the land that I come from? This is why this is why the commotion has started. And 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 I right, it's got to be. It, I'm sure it's fluent. You know, it's not like it's probably not. They're not stumbling through this. No, it's like this fluent language that is coming out of these followers of Jesus. Now the Spirit has fallen upon them. They're they're hearing this and they're understanding it. And look, it says, um, verse 5, it says, they were staying in Jerusalem, devout people of every nation. Um, it says that, that, that they were confused because they heard them speaking their own language. They're uh, astounded and, uh, and amazed. They're, they're, again, trying to make, make sense of all these things and, and trying to figure out what, what is going on, right? I mean, they, they realize, like, oh, these, these Jesus followers, something has happened to them. These weren't, the people weren't hearing it, weren't Jesus weren't followers of Jesus. They're now over here because there's a commotion going down. And, and, and so what, what's happening in this moment? You know what's happening in this moment? The miraculous is what's happening in this moment. I mean, I mean this, this, is, this is what's happening. Like God is doing what? God is getting the attention of these Jewish men and women. He's getting their attention. He, he's going after their heart. He's going after their mind. He, 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 he wants them. Like he, he wants them to see uh, Jesus as the son, Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus is the one who is long awaited. He, he wants them to see that. And so he does what? He, he gives these early followers of Jesus a type of power that would do that. Now, here's what I love about this. Jesus could have done anything or uh, God could have done anything, couldn't he? Like in terms of the miraculous, he could have done anything. He could have just started multiplying, you know, whatever he wanted. Like he, he could have just, whatever he wanted to do, he could have. But he chose to do what? He chose to give them a, a language in this moment that people understood. And then what does, the, what does the, the Jewish followers say in verse 11? It says, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. I mean, he could have, he could have displayed his power in all kinds of ways, but, but he, this is what happened. Not only did he display his power in what he was producing in them, but by doing the miraculous, but, but he also has these Jesus followers speaking clarity about the kingdom of God in a language or in languages that all of these ethnically Jewish followers would understand. The Holy Spirit's doing what? He's magnifying God. He's making much of God. So it's the miraculous, but it's also the miraculous bringing clarity, bringing insight, bringing truth. Like they're hearing this fluent message of the way of Jesus in Jerusalem, and they're just there minding their own business, trying to bring their first fruits. And now the Spirit has fallen upon them. 
and so the, the the power that's given to us, right? And and I want to um, I want to we'll flesh out a few kind of just practical things about the spirit and how it finds itself here. Um, but but the spirit is given to us um, individually. Um, to us, there, there's a type of power that's given to us to 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 be empowered, to be equipped, like to understand the deep things of God differently. Like I think that if you read the scriptures, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian. Like you, I, you can read it. Like it's words, you know. Like there's like you can clearly read that. You can get it. Like people read the scriptures and are convicted of their sin and get like come to know Christ that way. They commit their life to Jesus. But I think when you have the Holy Spirit, I think when you read the scripture, you read it differently. I think there's a type of insight that comes from that. There's a type of ability that comes from that. This is what it means that God has given us a, a power source that, again, coming from heaven, that, that can be um, a bit different. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans says it this way. I've read this before, but this quote is so good. Um, this is what Dr. Evans says. He says, God fully understands that you can't pull off what he expects. He goes into this knowing that his standards are way up here and we are way down here. He knows that our best efforts won't get us very high. God, knowing of our insufficiency, has granted us a new power source who is the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to enable Christians to live kingdom lives. That's what he's done. He's given us the Spirit. Okay, a couple observations um, here uh, of the Spirit in life. And then I'm going to give you uh, I got a graph for you because we all love graphs. Um, uh, so I'm gonna give you a graph at the end of this thing that kind of helps you, you kind of see where we're going in terms of a church. But here's a couple observations uh, about the spirit in the life of the church. Uh, the, the spirit, I wanna be very careful. So hear me carefully. Hear me carefully. I need to tune in this moment. Um, the spirit enables each of us to speak on behalf of God into each other's lives. The spirit enables each of us to speak on behalf of God into each other's lives. Now, here's why I say, be, let's be careful with this. Now, how does God do that? Well, clearly, just straightforwardly, God enables us to do that through the scriptures, right? We can speak scriptural truth to people um, that, that are walking in, in uh, anxiety, that are walking in sadness, that are walking in uncertainty. We can say to one another, hey, I, I know that you got a bit of anxiety going on right now. Um, and, and it's kind of sort of right. God's kind of, I found this verse to be really helpful. And we, we can do that, right? Like we, hopefully you're, you're doing that or someone's done that for you or that's been really impactful for you. We, we can do that. Uh, but I also believe, I also believe that, that God's also given us the spirit to, to be able to speak like, not, not nothing that runs, con listen, the spirit is never gonna give you anything that runs contrary to scripture, right? So the spirit doesn't come upon you and it's like, Yasmin, worship Satan. You know, that's not the Spirit, clearly. But I do believe that the Spirit can give us a sense in which, uh, where it's like, hey man, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I have a word from you. I feel like I have um, a, a story or a picture from you, from, from God. Let me just give it to you. Take it. I may be totally off base, but let me give this to you. Like, I believe God does that. I've, I've had, um, over my life, I've had significant things uh, I've had uh, words that were spoken over to me, both stories, words, and pictures spoken over to me, over, over me by a godly individual that I trust, multiple godly individuals that I trust, that gave me something that, quite frankly, helped carry me through in some really difficult seasons of life. Again, they weren't running contrary to scripture. There were things that I sat under, that I prayed through, that I read the scriptures through. Like These were all things I'm like, 
okay, what does that mean? Like, what is that? I'm, I'm, I want to believe. I want to believe that God gave you that to give it to me. So now let me take this, not as not as 100% from God, but let me now take this and dissect this and figure this out. Am I making sense here? It's, it's a beautiful thing. I believe God gives us a spirit to be able to do this with one another. I want to have a church. Hear this. I want to have a church that feels comfortable with this. Now, this gets super awkward. Like, right? I mean, maybe you've had someone come up to you and they're like, I got a word for you. You know, and they give it to you, and you're like, that was, I don't even know what that was. You know, that, that, we gotta, that happens. Some of you from other charismatic background, like, that 100% happens. Had a lady come up. You know, anyway, so uh, you could give me a story right now. Um, that will happen, but we have, to be, we have to be okay and comfortable with that and saying, you know what? We believe that, that Christ, healthy Christian discipleship understands, seeks to understand and love the Spirit and let the Spirit be a part of us. And so part of that is stumbling through that. And being okay with stumbling through that, uh, and and so we're we're we believe that as um, a truth. So that's the first thing. The second thing we've kind of already mentioned this, but um, the second thing the Spirit always says what it always magnifies the Father. It's always pushing you into deeper Christian discipleship, into closeness with God, into closeness with Jesus. This is what this is why the Spirit was sent. This is the work that He does. He He pushes us deeper. This is why I want to be a church that embraces the Holy Spirit, that embraces the role of the Holy Spirit because it will make us a healthier church. It'll make us a better church. It will. Our city, um, I frequently run into people who are here for uh, medical care, right? They're here for medical care. Um, They're here for education. Um, Startups are here, tech is here. An incredible city, an incredible city. That, that people, like, you can walk across the bridge right here and, and the two companies, the, the two major companies responsible for putting out the, the COVID vaccination are right here. We get that, right? They're, they're right across the water, right over here. And we live in an incredible, an incredible city. But for all of our, for all of our city's ability to think rightly, to correct right, like to, to correct path, to align, to educate, to bring about healthcare. All of that is great, but it will not fix the problems of our city. It won't. What will is a people saved by Jesus, equipped and motivated by the Holy Spirit. This is what will bring, this is what will bring change in our city. So we want to. We we have this un, we have this crazy belief at Grace City that we can actually be a part of turning the kind of spiritual tide of the city. We actually believe that. We actually pray towards that. All right. So he magnifies the way of Jesus. Um, third thing. Let's be really honest um, in this. Uh, many times the ways of the Spirit can be confusing and surprising. It can be confusing and surprising. That's just our reality. Um, we we. We see the crowd in Acts chapter 2, it says they were confused, they were astounded, and they were amazed. And then the, non, the, the, the other ones said they were drunk on wine. That is not like, that's, it's just confused. It can be confusing. And, and we, we have to, um, we essentially have to be, uh, we have to be okay with that. Okay, so how do we, how do we faithfully, um, how do we faithfully pursue the, the role of, the Holy Spirit in the life of our church. Let me put this. Uh, let me put a graph up for you, 
and then you can take a picture of it or do whatever, um, do whatever you want. So here's a, so here's what we're seeking to here's the line that we're seeking to straddle. And uh, I stole these categories from a friend, um, uh, but but kind of there's uh, like we this is the kind of the world that we want to live in. So we we essentially want to live in uh, the contemplative and the charismatic, the contemplative and the charismatic. So I'll some of you have probably heard me talk about this if you've um, if you. We've been around each other for any point of time for long. I've probably talked about this, but uh, let's look at the contemplative first. Um, and, and I do want to say this too. For some of you, your personalities will naturally land in one of these more than the others. So like on, on contemplative, you're like, you see quiet and alone. You're thinking that's my space. You know, that's you. You're just like, I'm here, I'm with the crowd, but I'd rather not be. I'd rather just be sitting in the park by myself. Okay, so he, these are generalizations, but just hang in there with me for a moment. Don't send me an email. All right, contemplative and charismatic. So um, contemplative is typically defined by this type of like daily discipline, right? There's, there's moments of quiet and silence uh, that's there. It, it's a little more individualistic. It, it can tend to be a little more intellectual, right? It's, it's a little more, then this is a little more on peace you know, that, that we get from, from God. This is the contemplative. This is kind of the, um, th this is why we push people towards uh, practicing the habits, right? That we say, hey, you need, you need scripture uh, memorization. You need fasting. You need prayer. You need silence. You need journaling. You, you need all these things. These are just, these are the habits that we seek uh, to, to practice. There is value in just being alone and silent with God. Like we, we want to get to the point as a church where we can just have awkward silence together. Like where it almost gets too long. Do you know what I mean? We want to be okay with that. We want to be okay with sitting in that and, and thinking through that. This is what it means to be uh, a part of the contemplative kind of movement and thought. We want to intellectually engage God. We want to study theology. We, we want to know what um, the, the ancient fathers thought. And these are all really valuable things. Like we, we need to be able to do that in our city. It's really, really important. And, and so we want, to, we, want to, we want to be that. While on the other end of the spectrum, we, we also want to embrace the charismatic. Now the charismatic can be um, experience, right? Spontaneous, singing in crowds, communal, emotional, um, passion, these can kind of be the, the things, right? I, I, I really don't, I'm, I'm not really, you know, I don't want to be in a church. Listen, I don't want to lead a church or go to a church that every Sunday morning we're in this space. It's like, like, I don't want to do that, right? Do you? Like, I just don't, I, I don't. Like, I want to be in an environment where we're, we're em embracing, like, we're all embracing our individual uh, worship styles and, and, and relating to God in individual ways. And, and at the same time, like we're understanding, like we have been given the greatest news on the face of the earth. Like our future is secure. No matter what happens to us here, our future is secure. And we have the, the presence of a, of a living God with, through the Holy Spirit inside of us as a people. Doesn't mean we, we, don't, go through, we don't go through valleys. This week, can I be transparent as your pastor? This week was one of the hardest weeks in church planting I've ever had. One of the hardest weeks. Just, just crazy, crazy week this week. 
And so it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you don't we don't have moments where um, I like to angry run. You know what I mean? Like I like to get out on the the like I'll be out on the you know if you ever see me I like to run um, the Cambridge here the the water that's here um, I like to run it if you ever see me running and screaming um, to myself I'm okay I'm just maybe it's been a hard day and I'm I'm angry you know I like to do that sometimes uh, but and so like that's a real reality in our Christian life and discipleship this is this is a reality but it's also reality man that we have the greatest news in the world. And that we as a people, when we come to this space, should be a people full of joy. And we should be excited about what God's doing and what he's building and creating in our church and in us as individuals. And, and so we want to we embrace these two things. We want to have the charismatic and the contemplative. The, the contemplative is why we do, we do, we tip, we aren't doing it this morning, but um, the contemplative is typically why we do liturgy. So if you've been here on Sunday morning, we typically will take the bread and cup and we'll read liturgy together. Uh, and some people, when we read that together, I'll just be really honest with you, some people are like, we sound like a cult. <laughs> this is what they say to me, and I'm like, okay. Um, I'm like, do you, do you sing music? And they're like, do you sing words to worship? And they're like, yes, love worship. I love it. I'm like, all we did is remove the instruments. You know, we just removed the instruments. That, but that's why we do it. We, we, we believe it's forming something in us. We want to be slow and measured and pace in our formation. Am I making, am I making sense here? So this is, what, this is what we're seeking to do. So over the next year, I'm going to pray and then we're going to be done. Over the next year, uh, we're going to be leading various things on, on how to practice the habits, how, how to lean into this contemplative, how to be silent and be okay with that. And we're going to work to practice that in our gatherings and be okay with that. And we're going to lean into that side of us. We're also going to lean into the other side of how do we lean into the spirit? That doesn't just mean we raise our hands in worship, but like how do we actually gather together, pray, speak a, a, a word over one another? Like we're, we're actually going to, this is a process and we're going we're gonna to do these things together. We're going to bring in other people who do it better, way better than me. And so we're just going to, this is what we're going to commit to. We are going to work to be this type of church in the city of Boston. And so if you want to be a part of that, man, I'm glad you're here. That's what we're going for. I just want you to know on the front end, this is, this is who we are going, uh, this is who we're going to be.